Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. This is a supplement to the teaching of Calvary Tucson. If you attend the church and you have questions about the teaching, then this is a place that you can come and ask those questions. We also take any questions that you have about the Bible, about prophecy, about living for God, whether or not they are nuanced. It's good to see you guys here. I hope you're blessed. Our desire is to approach God's Word to find out what it says so we can know what to believe. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. God's Spirit, Jesus said, would lead us into all truth. So we want to search His word. The Spirit inspired it to be able to find it. Our first question comes from a comment that was left behind on our YouTube channel. Someone was asking about a friend of his who was attending a church where they were practicing slain in the spirit or being slain in the spirit. It was a a girl and she had grown closer to Christ since she was attending the church and he wondered whether or not the practice was biblical at all and whether or not he should say anything because she seems to be growing at the church. Uh, Let me start off by saying that there's no place in the Bible that we see the practice of being slain in the spirit. When someone is trying to defend it, they will go to passages where people fall down on the ground before angels or before God and tremble um, when they're having some kind of an experience. And so they'll, they'll go to there. But nothing is like what they practice as slaying in the spirit. I, when I was a teenager, I went to Pentecostal churches and I went to charismatic churches and I experienced personally what it was that they were doing. Uh, I never was knocked down by the spirit of God, but I wanted everything God wanted for me. And so I would go up and they would pray for you and they would lay their hand on you. They'd have you raise your hands in the air. They'd have a catcher behind you. They'd kind of give you a little nudge backwards and I would go down, but I, I never went down because I was knocked down. I went down because, not because I was faking it either. Someone said, you're faking it? No, I wasn't faking it. I went down because I wanted everything God wanted for me and I didn't want to resist what God had for me, but never did I have any experience. Now, I'd stay down on the ground for a little while and so I felt it was, you know, sufficient time and then I would get back up again. Uh, Later on, I compared notes with a friend of mine at the the, um, uh, Foursquare Church that I attended and he said that he had been knocked down by God legitimately. He had told me he never would go down unless it was legitimately by God. Uh, I can't speak to those experiences. But what I do know is that these are not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that, that shows people coming up to be prayed for, somebody touching them and praying for them and having them fall down on the ground or go into convulsions. And these slain in the spirit incidences sometimes can get really weird. They can start to shake, they can start to laugh, they can just have different things uh, that are taking place. And the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is controlled by the prophet. And a fruit of the spirit is, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And so when these things get too crazy, it's obvious then that it's not God. So what would I do if I saw, if I knew someone who was attending a Pentecostal church, they were practicing being slain in the spirit, but they were growing and maturing. If the church was teaching everything else right and they were practicing this, but had pretty good sound teaching, especially on the main issues, I would not make it an issue with that person 
because I want them to like their church. I want them to go in with an expectancy of God moving, um, being hungry for the word of God. I want them to be excited about it and they're gonna grow and mature, then that's great. Now, if they approach me asking me, do you think that this is a biblical thing or do you think that this is okay? I'm probably gonna have a different answer for them because I would, as a pastor of a church, I would never allow that to be done in our church. Not knowingly, I mean, maybe somebody's done it without me knowing it, but I wouldn't allow it to be done because it is practicing something that we don't find any direction for in the scriptures. And that's just not a good thing when it's something like this, when it's something like, you know, people being knocked over, um, when it's, um, there's other practices uh, that they do um, that are not in the Bible at all. And once you once you open up that door, then you find yourself doing a lot of things, uh, the churches find themselves doing a lot of things that they should not be doing. Um, but as long as she is growing, excited about the church, then I would say um, not to discourage her along those lines. Uh, let the word of God grow. And you know what I found? I found that the Holy Spirit is able to talk to people about what's right and wrong and whether or not this is overboard. Uh, Pentecostal churches are so different. There are some that go way overboard and there are some that are, are fairly restrained, even in slain in the spirit and some that don't practice it. Uh, so I would not, I would not tear down, um, or, or, like I said, hurt anyone's desire for Christ by criticizing their church on something that is uh, a non-essential. There are some that might feel differently, but for me, I think the growth in Christ is extremely important. So it's good to see you guys. Good to have you here. Um, I'm hoping um, that Rakaya is here again today. I wanted to talk a little bit about a question that she had last week. I'll take a look here. If I see her pop on, um, we can talk about it. We might talk about it anyway. If you're joining us for the very first time, good to have you here. You can ask a question. All you got to do is put the word question in front of it and then write out your question. Reread it a couple of times. Make sure that it makes sense. Oftentimes they get submitted. I'm trying to figure them out because the sentence structure is just not good. I think sometimes we just are in a hurry to get things out. Reread it a couple of times. Make any corrections uh, that you want to make. And... Um, and, and then we'll go ahead and answer your questions. Uh, so we have a question from Rod that has to do uh, with the age of Adam when he sinned. Uh, so how old was Adam when he sinned? Um, I don't know, two months maybe. Um, how old was he on the day he was created? He was uh, not even a day old yet until a day later, then he was a day old. How old was he when he was created? 25, 28, 30, 35? Was he created with a beard? Did he have to grow a beard? Did he have to grow, grow hair? You know, it's like, what, what, what did he look like when he was created? So there's a lot of things that we just don't know. Um, and one of them would be how old he was when he sinned because we don't know, we, we don't know when he was created and how far after that uh, it, it happened. Uh, they could have been in the garden for a while. It seems like they weren't just by the feel of the account, but there's nothing in there that gives us any idea of, of what's there. All right, Rod, so thank you very much uh, for your question. Uh, again, uh, good to see you guys here. Uh, we have a question from Jari. 
Jari says, uh, good to see you, Jari. Jari says, do we get to choose consequences to our actions like David did in 2 Samuel 2, 13? Or was this a special occasion for David to submit to the will of God? Uh, 2 Samuel 24, David given a an opportunity to choose his consequences. Oh, I'm trying to remember this. I don't remember it. All right, let me look at let me take a look at uh, Jari. Second Samuel. Yeah, I don't remember uh the account. Second Samuel 24. It's not when he gave a census, was it? I don't think so. Maybe. Second Samuel 24, 13. Well, let me just get there and I'll find out. Um the judgment on David's sin. Yeah, it was when he numbered Israel. So let's go ahead and read this. So I don't I did not remember that he was given an opportunity for what I kind of do now. I'm kind of getting it. I'm kind of getting it now. So it says, um, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David, and this would be just, you know, David was reflecting pride in how big his kingdom was. And now um he he is he feels condemned about it. David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, and I think that there was a bunch of people who died, right? But take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Let's just pause there and take a look at that. Um, o Lord, take O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. I think all of us know what it's like to have done something and then want God to forgive us. And, and, and really just say, Lord, forgive me. And what a heart we see of David here, just wanting this sin to be taken away. Now, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord of the prophet came, uh, prophet of Gad, David's seer saying, go tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things, choose one of them for yourself, that I may do this to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, shall seven years of famine come on you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plagues in your land? Now consider and see what I should turn back to him who sent me. Uh, and um, I, I don't remember the outcome of this. It's pretty dramatic, isn't it? I Three days of plagues? How many people would die with three days of plagues? Three days of the enemy of war? Or, or three months of war? Or seven years of famine? Wow. Um, would you want it to be over quickly? Would you want it to be to take a long time? What I, I might just throw it back to God, right? Just say, Lord, you choose. You know, I'm sorry for what I've done. You choose. And David said to Gad, I am a great, I'm in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. All right, what a sobering account, uh, to be sure. Um, and so now to your question, Jari, um, I, I don't, I don't see that happening today. So God's working in their day, 
they have, they don't even have the complete Old Testament, right? And they have prophets that come to them and speak to them. You and I have the complete word of God and we can now judge prophets. The way that a prophet was judged in their day was whether or not they told the truth. And if they told the truth, then they're fine. But if they didn't, then they were to be killed. And so it was a very serious thing to take up that role as a prophet back in their day. I, um, uh, I, I would say, no, we're not going to get these kind of choices. That's just what I think. Um, you know, these kind of things are hard because, again, it's hypothetical. What would, you know, what can happen, what can't happen? I think the days are different and we're not going to have them. And I think David um, was, had, had this example here for the, the reasons that God was working with him. All right. Um, so Donald Duck, Donald Duck friend says, uh, question, when you read and don't understand it, is it because our spirit is not uh, there yet? Is it because our spirit is not there yet? So I take it when we read the Bible, we're reading the Bible and we don't understand it. Um, is it that our spirit is not there yet? It may be a maturity issue. It may be a familiarity issue. It may be learning how passages work in the Bible and the way God speaks to things. Um, remember, these things were written between for, for, um, 20, what, 2,400 years ago and 1,500 years uh, and, and 2,000 years ago. And um, let's let me think, before longer than that, um, yeah, 30, between 3,400 years ago and 2,000 years ago, the things of the Bible were written. And so they're written in different cultures at different times and in, in different ways by different men. It's amazing that it could be handed down to us and make so much sense and that we have other evidence, especially for the, the older things like under Hezekiah, um, the, the battle with Moab of Sennacherib, that we have other archaeological discoveries that talk about the exact same account. So we know that they weren't made up during the time of the Babylonian Empire. Um, I would just say, Donald Duck friend, um, just take your time, read through. When you don't understand something, stop and pause and consider what other scriptures might say. Um, maybe take time to look it up look for what the Spirit would say to you. Remember, the Holy Spirit's given to us to bring other scriptures to mind. And so oftentimes, as you wait on it, you can see other scriptures come to mind. I also found that what I call cooking it. You put it in the oven, you let it cook. You, you, you don't worry about, okay, I'm not gonna figure out right now, but I wanna think about this. What does God mean here? And you kind of let it marinate. Uh, you meditate on it. That that helps you come to um, find out what it says. Um, I don't think that there's any special key in understanding what the scriptures say. The Holy Spirit will open it up to you. And it may take um, a matter of use of really coming to a point where you're understanding what it says. And then, of course, growth. Um, pretty soon you learn, well, the Bible says this over here, so this can't be this over here. And uh, that's why sometimes of having someone who's more mature to be able to talk to about whatever the event is or whatever you're reading that you're wondering about. All right, so thank you very much, Donald Duck friend. I appreciate it. Uh, Empress Kimberly, good to see you. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Can this verse be applied to relationship outside of marriage for ex-roommates, friends, families that aren't saved? 
Hmm. Okay. Well, let's find out. Um, I like to play a little game to see if I can uh, figure out if I remember what Second Corinthians six fourteen says. Um, I don't think I do. Second Corinthians six. All right. Let me. Let's go. Let's, let's go there. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Okay, do not, oh, don't be unequally yoked. Ah, should have known it. All right, let me go ahead and put it up on the screen for you, then we'll come back to your question. Um, so, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord is Christ with Beal? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. God, as has, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate and do not touch uh, what is unclean. And I will receive you. Let's see. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters, says the Lord. So it's a serious section of scripture that's talking about not being unequally yoked. And being unequally yoked would be two um, animals that are, are pulling a plow or, or a cart. You, you put a yoke on animals so you can attach something to them for them to pull. And so if you have two oxen and one's really weak and one's really strong, then the strong one's going to pull along the other one and they're going to end up going in a giant circle. It's going to be hard to get them going really straight. And so you want an equally yoked set of, of whatever it is that you're having to pull. You want two animals that are about the same size, that are about the same strength uh, to be able to pull something along. And it's a principle that was well known. And so God used that to say that as believers, we should not be unequally yoked with non-believers. So your question is, uh, your question is, uh, can this verse apply to relationships outside of marriage for roommates, friends, family that aren't saved? And I'll, I will say to you, absolutely, Kimberly, absolutely. So I, I think um, for the person you're dating, right? I mean, how often do we see someone missionary dating, dating someone who doesn't love the Lord as much as they do? You got someone who's kind of a little bit leans towards being carnal, another one that leans towards being spiritual, but they like each other, attracted to each other. And so they put that aside and that's always a mistake. Uh, and how about relationships in business? Two business partners that are gonna go together or, or you're gonna start a business together and there's a non-believer and a believer who's gonna do that. Sooner, sooner or later, there's going to be, uh, sooner or later, there, <laughs> Sorry. All right, I'm good. Sooner or later, uh, there's going to be, all right, I'm good now. Sooner or later, uh, there's going to be, well, I, I ate some popcorn earlier, I had a little piece of popcorn floating around my mouth. Uh, but sooner or later, there's gonna be a problem in business or whatever the situation is. Uh, so yeah, it can apply um, to other relationships, to friendships. Uh, to people who are close. It's not that you can't have friends who aren't. I'm, I'm friends with some people that don't know Christ, but I want to win them to Christ. 
So that's the goal. But I don't want to be in a partnership with them either. So I do believe that 2 Corinthians 4.16 uh, does apply to other things besides um, to marriages, uh, relationships outside of marriage, most definitely. All right. But marriage is one of those big keys. Don't marry a person, but don't date a person you're unequally yoked to because dating often leads to marriage. Um, all right. So thank you, Kimberly. And thank you for giving that reference that we can take time to look it up. I appreciate that. So it's good to have you guys uh, here with us. If you're uh, here for the very first time, really glad you're here. You can ask a question by writing a question down and then write down your question, reread it, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Um, I still don't see Require, but I did want to talk. Uh, I'm going to give her some more time to get on here, and uh, then I want to address a question that she asked last week. So we have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Fact Check These Hands says, I'm good to see you, by the way. Uh, my friend, a female Christian, is hyper-focused in finding a fling to have casual sex with. She's not very attractive and is desperate for male attention. How do I tactfully address this? All right, fact check these hands. Thank you. Let's, um, let's take a moment to think about that. All right, so... I'm, I'm going to take it that she's not a Christian, right? Hopefully, this would really be sad if she was. So my friend, a non-Christian female, is hyper-focused on, on having a fling to have casual sex with. She's not very attractive, um, is desperate for male attention. How do I tactfully address this? Um, I would say, ah, wow, um, I'm just trying to put myself in the situation of what I would do if I have a friend who is a girl who just seems to be obsessed with getting into a relationship to be able to have sex. I'm just having a hard time putting myself there to be able to figure out how I would handle it or what some wisdom would be in taking care of this. Uh, I, I would say, you said a female Christian. Yeah, my friend, a female Christian, so she is a Christian. Uh, yeah, how, how do you tactfully address this? I, I, I don't know if there's a tactful way to do it. Uh, you want to, she's a Christian, she's pursuing sin, and so you want to lovingly, gently, well, what does it say in, um, in, uh, Galatians chapter 6, that if anyone is sin, those of you who are spiritual, go to such a one and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So that's where it applies. Sorry, I was reading this as just a female, um, not a female Christian. So you answered my question right there. Fact check these hands. But yes, you who are spiritual, go to such a one and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So I, th I would think you have a responsibility with a friend who's trying to find a fling to have casual sex with and go to them. And we just read the passage where it says, don't be unequally yoked and come out from among them and be separate. And that's why God doesn't want us unequally yoked. You can't get any more unequally yoked with than, than this. That's not her answer to being fulfilled. And um, never should it be just looking for a guy. So that's my answer. Um, Galatians chapter six, if anyone is in a sin, those who are spiritual go to such one. She's definitely in a sin and uh, needs to have that taken care of, all right? 
So I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you, Factor Ethics Hands. May the Lord bless you. May you have an open door. May they be receptive to hearing from you. And may it be incredibly effective. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you. Fact check these hands. I appreciate that. Uh, may the Lord bless you as you go to take care of that. And it's difficult, but I think it's something uh, that we want to see taken care of. So um, we have a question here. Question, William Branham, along with a few others, self-proclaimed themselves as the Elijah promised in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Is this a Jewish or Gentile prophecy or did John fulfill it? Okay, well, thank you for your question, um, WMB 1975 iffy. So, all right, well, but thank you for your question. Yeah, William Branham, um, along, it, it was a, all the way back in the early 1900s in the Azusa Street Revival, there were people who claimed that they were Elijah. So, you know, because Elijah's coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord, then there were people who identified themselves as them. Um, the fact that William Branham, claimed to be a prophet, and a lot of people still follow him. He did some stuff here in Tucson. So we run into Brahmanites every so often. And um, I've, I've had them, you know, try to sell me on the serpent seed doctrine. Um, and um, unfortunately, I'd gone on a fishing trip with a guy from the church. And um, we're out there fishing, and all of a sudden he says, um, what do you think about, and he gives me the serpent seed doctrine. And I'm just like, oh, no. I said, are you a Brahmanite? And he goes, well, I think William Branham had a lot of good things to say. So he wouldn't say, say that he was. Um, but it wasn't as fun of a trip after that as I'd hoped that it would be. Um, William Branham was found to be a false prophet simply by the fact that he, he claimed and declared people to be healed, and they weren't. They weren't healed. So that makes him a false prophet. And he claimed that he had the power to heal and prophecy, that he was Elijah. Um, so... Yes, um, Elijah is still coming. So Jesus said, if you can handle it, John was Elijah. In a way, he came before as the forerunner. There's a passage in the Old Testament that talks specifically about John the Baptist coming to make the, uh, the way straight for the Messiah. John the Baptist fulfilled that. But in a way, he was like Elijah because he came before Christ and prepared the people to find them. And so Elijah's gonna come, probably one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation before the great and terrible day of the Lord and get people ready for when God's going to come back. And Elijah was a type of that. Um, all of these guys that have said, I don't know who's saying they're, they're Elijah today, but all of these guys who said um, back in the Azusa Street Revival, this was the very early part of the Pentecostal movement. There are a few things that happened there. Number one, a lot of people were saying they were Elijah. Uh, number two, they thought speaking in tongues was a literal language. Some of them actually went to other countries because they believed that they could speak the language only to find out that they couldn't speak the language um, when they were speaking in tongues. Um, a lot of other things happened. Amy Simple McPherson came along a few years later. Um, so, yeah, um, thank you for the question. But yes, so yes, he is still coming. Um, and probably one of the two witnesses out of the book of Revelation. And just think of the delusions of grandeur for you to say, I'm Elijah. I'm here before the great and terrible day of the Lord. When you're not. And it becomes obvious that you're not. And um, William Branham um, denied the Trinity. There's all kinds of other things that he did. Um, he made certain prophecies. He made a prophecy about a woman being president. And here at this last, um, when um, 
uh, oh, well, when, when Biden became president and he's so old, there were those saying, it's about to happen. William Branham's uh, teaching is going to, a prophecy is going to come true. A woman's going to become president. Well, someday, given enough time, a woman is going to be president. It's going to happen. So William Branham will be, his prophecy will be true, not because it, he, he had any insight, but because sooner or later, a woman is going to become president. I realize he made that prediction in the 60s or the 50s. I don't remember if it was the 50s or 60s that he made that prediction. He, he died in, um, 60, in the 60s, I think in an auto accident. All right. Um, so yeah, fact check these hands. Yes, I got that. And I, I'm sorry about that. So she's a Christian. Um, and as I said, um, those, uh, if anyone is in a sin, those of you who are spiritual, go to such a one and restore in her spirit of gentleness. And that's what you've got to do. Go in a spirit of gentleness. It's, it's hard to do, but you go in a spirit of gentleness. And I think that God will, I mean, obviously he's going to honor you when you're going by his word and whatever the outcome is, you're going and sharing with her whatever it is that God lays on your heart with that spirit of gentleness, but you're looking to restore her. That's the, that's the question. I mean, that's, the, that's what you want to do. All right, thanks, fact check these hands. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Rod again. Um, when you are experiencing difficult decisions, praying, asking, how do you know what way to go? Thank you. And I think that's a fantastic question. That, and I, it's such a good question because we all do it. We want, we've got a decision to make in front of us. A job opening in another city. Do I take that job opening and do, do I uproot my family and take them there? Is this what God has for me? Maybe it's not that heavy, but decisions that you just don't know and you can't find any direction from the word of God as far as, because it's not anything moral. So, you know, should I take the job or not? Should I move to that town or not? Should I marry this person or not? All of these are, are difficult decisions. So how do you approach them? First of all, I say that you do it prayerfully, that you seek God about the decision. Give God a chance to speak to you. Jesus said, ask. The Bible says, do, do all things through prayer and, so, and to pray unceasingly. And so very biblical to prayerfully make a decision. Now, you might not hear God say, you know, stay here or move there or, you know, ask her to marry. You might hear, not hear God say that. So you've got to make a prayerful decision. And, and if I may got to make a decision like that, I make a prayerful decision. And if I make the wrong decision, believe God's big enough to come in and redirect me if he needs to. I, I'm still making a decision. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it as biblical as I can. I'm trying to find, is there anything that the Bible can give me direction on? Um, am I doing what Proverbs says when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So am I, I'm, I want God to lead me. Uh, and so I want to make sure I'm acknowledging him and I'm doing those things that the Bible says to be able to go down that path. All right. So thank you, Rod. I appreciate that. Good to see you. Um, we have a question from Kimberly, which is the follow-up. Kimberly says, so it would be all right to choose and not to let non-Christian family members move into your home because you just don't want the world living with you, even an adult child. Okay. So, um, would it be all right to choose to not let a non-family member move into your home because you just don't want to live, want the world living with you, even an adult child. So you got a family member of someone else 
that's an adult child and wants to move in, they're not a Christian, you're a Christian, you're wondering if it's okay. Um, it's something, Kimberly, that I think that you want to really pray about. Uh, you want to know, is, is this an opportunity to be able to minister to someone? Um, what kind of rules would be established if they were able to, to move in? I don't know that you can put this underneath it and say yes or no based on that. The Bible says I'm not feeling good, so I'm not going to let you move in. I don't know if you can do that. But you are the one who's in control to be able to say, um, if you want them to move in, these are the rules that we've got if you would like to move in. Here, here's, here's what it is. Um, if you pray about it and feel like it's something that the Lord doesn't want you to do, it's okay to say no. And there might be other reasons going on. Um, like you said, you don't want the world living with you. And, and maybe, I, I, I don't know, just not having the living world living with you, would that be because of temptation? Would that be because of um, annoyance? What would, what would that be because of? And I would try to find another way. Sometimes it's not just yes or no, but there's another way to help them. So maybe there's a better way that you can begin to pray to be able to reach out and help them. But I would be looking for a way that you can um, bless that person in some way, even if you're not going to allow them to be able to move into your home. Um, so yeah, we have the right to be able to say no. We want to be hospitable though, right? And so um, hopefully that is helpful. Um, Empress Kimberly, uh, let's see. Ah, okay, so um, we had a question from Manny Cruz, was that right? Um, all right, so yeah, let me go and bring this in. Thank you for, for um, pointing that out, Keith. Um, does Gog and Magog war fit better before or after the rapture? Thanks, Pastor. Yeah, that's, that is the question, Manny. Um, we don't know. Uh, it could be before, it could be after. It is, it is said to be the next thing on the prophetic calendar. Uh, however, it could be, the rapture could be the next thing on the prophetic calendar. Uh, it's around the same time. It can't be much after it. Uh, and maybe we could say it has to be before it because it takes seven years for them to burn the weapons from that battle. However, Jesus is going to return and reestablish a kingdom here on this earth and set up on the throne of David for a thousand years. So I don't know that there's really it stops the weapons from continuing to be burned. I just think we don't know. We know it's in the last days because it says that. It says in the latter times, Gog and Magog and, and gives all the, the lands are going to come against them. But then it says in the latter days, God's going to bring Gog down. So it's the, it's the very latter days, not just the latter times. In the latter times, we see the coalition, it says. But then in the latter days, God brings him down to judgment. Uh, so... Is, does this take place right after the tribulation period? Is it part of the wars? Is you know the the four horsemen come out? One of them is war. Is it part of of that in the very beginning of the tribulation period? Uh, is it something else? Uh, we're not sure. And remember, there's another Gog and Magog war that happens. Um, thanks for putting a question in front of that, um, Manny. There's another Gog and Magog war that happens. It, it's a regional thing. At the end of the tribulation period, there still still seems to be some rebellion in those areas, even though God has been ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, and there's another battle that takes place then. 
And we'll get there in the book of Revelation. We're covering Revelation right now on Wednesday nights, and we'll get to that and talk about it uh, when we get there. All right. So while uh, we have a question from Paul, Paul says, uh, I heard that speaking in tongues is a language in other nations, but after listening to you, is it true that speaking in tongues is not a language anywhere here on earth? All right, so let's just talk about what happened for, for a moment, Paul, all right? So in Acts chapter 2, the, Holy, the, the church is waiting for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said would happen in, in Acts 1.8. Terry here in Jerusalem, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so um, they're waiting. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they all begin to speak in tongues. And there are people there from all around the world for the, for the Pentecost, for the Feast of Pentecost. And they hear them magnifying and praising God in their own language. Now this is unique. We don't see it any other place that way. In fact, Paul says clearly that I would rather speak one word or five words in, in, a, in, a, in a, a known tongue than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So this, this is unique when it happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it it might have been the same thing that happened on the, the Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 12 when Peter's preaching and suddenly they get filled with the Holy Spirit and start to speak in tongues. Um, there's a difference between that and what seems to be taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where they're, they're speaking in an unknown language. So it seems like God did something special on that day. And then after that, they didn't know what tongues were. But the Bible says that we are edified when we speak in tongues. And this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, because our spirit speaks mysteries unto God. And let me just go there. I want to show you this. Um, all right. So let me put this up on the screen for you. It, uh, it says... This is 1 Corinthians uh, 14. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you should prophesy. For you who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So it's not a known language. For no one understands him. See, there it is. However, the Spirit speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies edifies and exhorts and comforts all men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So there is a self-edification that happens with tongues as you are magnifying and praising God. Here we know it's not, uh, when someone speaks in tongues, they're not speaking to, to other men because it says pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy first. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So when someone speaks in tongues, they're talking to God. When you have someone who gives the interpretation of the tongue and they says, thus says the Lord, you are a church that I'm gonna use in a mighty way. That can't be tongues because the person that is speaking in tongues would be, would be talking to the church from God. That's prophecy. That's not speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues would be magnifying God. And I've rarely heard it. I have heard it, but rarely interpreted properly. Every other time it's interpreted, it'll tell you that something's happening here that is in the flesh because they might be prophesying, but they are not giving the interpretation of the tongue. All right? So, um, so, you know, asking, let's see. Um, yeah, I heard speaking in tongues as a language of nations. So now, this is what they didn't understand in the Azusa Street Revival. 
they have all these things going on and they're speaking in tongues, they think they're speaking Chinese. And you would think that they would test it before they actually go to China, but they didn't. There are people who went to China and found out that they were not speaking Chinese because they got there and nobody could understand what they were saying, looked at them like they were going out of their mind because that's not why God gave us tongues. Uh, some believe it's a heavenly language, um, but it's not the same that happened in Acts chapter two because each one heard them speaking in their own language and that had changed. Um, so fact check these hands, still talking about um, the woman that he wants to know if he should talk to her about her sin. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead and bring it in here. Fact check these hands. Um, let's see, maybe I don't want that up there. Huh? Okay, um, let's just see. Um, I thought so too at first, but after many conversations, she seems to be truly born again. She's 38 and maybe going through midlife crisis. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to address this. Yeah, you need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You, you need to, an open door. And maybe it's best just to say, you know, hey, I need to talk to you. So let's, this is going to be a bit serious and talk about being set aside for Christ and those who, those who practice sexual morality do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's not saying that, that a Christian isn't going to commit a sex, some sexually immoral sin, but it means he's not practicing it. And looking for someone to have a fling with seems to be practicing it. If she loves him, then she's going to want to do what he says. And that's kind of where, you know, I mean, I'm looking for you to be led, but I, that's a good way to address it. You could be talking about, um, look, if you really do love him, then you're going to want to do the things that he said. And um, I know that God will lead you, guide you. He's given you the Holy Spirit, fact check these hands, to be able to address this. And um, if indeed you fit that spiritual bill of Galatians chapter 6, those of you who are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, lest you yourself be tempted. Um, go not in arrogance or prideful or I'm you know here to straighten you out, but go humbly um, and plead with them that they would put this sin away from them because that's what it is, okay? So thank you very much. I appreciate um, just kind of continuing on. Um, so Paul says, uh, Paul McGuire says, uh, question, I have heard speaking in tongues. Oh, I already, I already did that one. I just did that one. I went backwards to get the other one, all right? So Cat, uh, Cat Lou says, um, Pastor, can you explain the 144,000 witnesses? Will they be free to go anywhere or regulated um, to Patmos? I don't know why, oh, um, yeah, I don't know why the 144,000 wouldn't be on Patmos just because John's on Patmos and is writing this letter from Patmos. Um, no, I don't think the 144,000 are regulated at all. He's seen a vision of what's gonna happen in the future, the tribulation period. And the 144,000 uh, are Jews who are sealed. God protects them because according to Jeremiah 37, the day of the Lord is a day of distress. It is a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time, uh, but he'll be saved out of it. It's a time of trouble for Israel because God's working with the nation of Israel to bring them back to himself. And so God in the beginning of the tribulation period, seems the beginning, seals 144,000 with his seal on their forehead. And I think these are 144,000 evangelists that go out and preach the gospel. And one of the reasons that the next number 
So that's the beginning of Revelation 7. The next number are those slain for their faith that have been called out, that have been killed out of the great tribulation. And so it is from these 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are going out now, they're sealed by God and who are preaching the gospel. So that's 144,000. It's in the tribulation period. This is the 70 week of, 70th week of Daniel. Jesus said there's a time coming that is worse than anything this world will ever see and worse than anything that the world's ever going to see. That's the seven year trial and tribulation period. It's a time of God's wrath. It's a time that he judges the world and he's going to seal 144,000. Israel is in the middle, it's entangled with prophecies about the last days. They include Israel. And so Israel is a nation again. They weren't a nation for almost 1900 years, but they're a nation now, which is one of the reasons that we believe that we are living in those last days. Okay, so thank you very much, um, Kat Lou, for your question. I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I still do not have it. I accept that God may have said no. Yeah, there's a, uh, Kat Lewis is talking about maybe not praying for the gift of tongues but not receiving it. Um, so the Bible says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, do all have gifts of miracles? Do all do healing? Do all do um, gifts of healings? Uh, do all do miracles? Uh, do all speak in tongues? And the answer to all these things is no. Not everybody does. And there are churches that will say that you're not saved unless you do speak in tongues. And that's just unbiblical. It's not true. That, that's like adding a works to salvation. It's like adding baptisms to, to salvation or any other work to say that you are genuinely saved. All right. So um, thank you, Rod. I appreciate you. And um, let's see. We have a question from L. Donald. L. Donald says, how do you know if God wants me to continue having kids or get my tubes tied. I want to, I want to, but then again, I don't want to bring more kids to suffer. Not sure what to do here. All right. Thank you, um, L. Donald. Um, let's think about this a little bit. Is, is life a gift or is life suffering? A lot going on in the world today, right? People make good and bad decisions. They're suffering in the world. And a child might be brought into the world that is just going to suffer. And that's a pretty horrible thing. But life is also a gift. And are you glad you're alive? I'm glad I'm alive. Doesn't mean I haven't had my share of difficulties and suffering because I have. But my life has been a gift from God and then he's granted me to believe and have eternal life. And that's awesome. So, yeah, I don't know about not having kids because you don't want them to suffer. I think that that might be, I don't know if that's a good reason to not have kids. Um, yeah, I don't know that that would be a reason to have your tubes tied. I, I, I would have a problem. I'd have a problem with, with, with just, just that thinking. Um, it's another thing. You have a decision to make, and there's this is one of those areas where some Christian thinks it's sin and some Christians think it's okay. Some Christians think that when God said, be fruitful and multiply, it was to everybody. And if anybody ties their tubes or uses birth control, that they are 
in sin because of that. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that. If, if you were medically not able to have kids, if you were older and now the, um, the pregnancy would be problematic, then getting your tubes tied would not be a problem. Um, if you're older and you say, I've got, I've got whatever, three kids, I don't want any more, then not a, not a problem. But just the whole idea, I don't want to bring more kids to suffer. Not sure what to do here. I don't know that life has suffering, but life is a gift. And so I, I don't know that that reasoning, um, I don't like that reasoning. Sorry, El Donald, I just want to be honest with you. Um, that you would choose to have kids because you, you don't want them to suffer. I know people who don't want to bring kids into the world. Um, that um, because of the way that the world's going, I'm just not sure that's the right thing to do. Um, all right, you're just going to have to really pray about it. And sorry, I couldn't be more of a help. There are just certain questions. I, I want these kind of nuanced questions, but there are just certain questions that are difficult uh, to answer, and I, I do look for them, but this is one you just have to really seek the Lord on and really ask yourself that question, is life suffering or is life a gift? And are you glad that you're alive? Um, so, uh, Kat Lu says, um, or Rod says, Kat Lu, 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30, not all speak with tongues. Yes. Thank you for that reference, Rod. I appreciate that. All right. And, um, okay, so, um, let's see. So it's bad to get my tubes tied. I've heard it's not good because you're not trusting for God's family. This is L again, um, L Donald. Um, so it's bad to get my tubes tied. I've heard that it's not good because you're not trusting God for your family size and taking it into your own hands. Yeah, well, someone can say that. Um, but I would say, are they, did they use birth control all the time? Did they never use birth control? When, when someone judges that way, you wonder if there's a double standard that's taking place. And I'm not saying that there might not have been some out there who didn't use birth control who would say this because there probably are, but I think they're rare. Um, getting your tube side for a medical reason, getting your tube side because you're older and you don't know if it would be safe to have kids. Um, would all be okay. I don't know how old you are, L. And but getting your tube side, let's say at 20 um, or 25, even, I, I would say is not a good thing, because you don't know how you're going to feel in five years. If um, look, I was a Christian at 25 years old. In fact, we started the church when I was 25 years old. I was um, a pastor. I was a youth pastor, and then we came out and started the church in Tucson when I was 25 years old. What, what's funny is I'm not sure that the 25-year-old Robert Furrow would have a lot of wisdom for me today. And big things change a lot in, in years. And it's not wise to make a decision whether you're that young. So I don't know how old you are, how many more childbearing years you have, and whether or not you're gonna change your mind after you do it, because you're making a decision to have your tubes tied because you don't want suffering. And if you're, it is birth control is, um, you know, any other kind of birth control is that out of the question so that you have to have your tubes tied because obviously, you know, somebody can, 
yeah, I don't want to get too graphic, but some, you can use birth control that isn't irreversible and having your tube side is permanent, pretty permanent. Some might argue you can get your, you can get them reversed. Yeah, but not always. And yeah, you're going to go to a, an, an operation, a major operation, and then get it reversed. I, I don't just don't know how, the, how much wisdom is there. And if you don't mind sharing how old you are, it might help me to be able to give you some more direction. If you're 40 years old, one thing. If you're 25, it's another. Or 30, it's another. All right. Okay, L, thank you. I appreciate you continuing uh, to give information. Yeah, uh, L, I, I realize, yeah, maybe somebody else didn't. Um, yeah, no, we know that you're a woman. How old are you? <laughs> Just give us that information. Um, uh, So, um, we have a question from Amanda. Amanda, good to see you. Amanda says, I'm not sure if this was answered already, but what is the best version of, of the Bible to study? Um, yeah, it depends on what you're doing. Amanda, thank you. We've had the question before, but I don't, I don't mind answering it again. Um, so, if you're, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna hardcore study the Bible, then the NASB is known as the one that you want to get and that you want to study um, because it is just a good, solid version that takes the manuscripts up to, into account and even up to date. So it's like on my my U version, I have the 2020 version of the NASB. There's earlier versions, so they'll even change it after some other manuscripts come into play so that you really are getting uh, the just of all the manuscripts that have been collected, over 5,000 manuscripts of the Bible. And uh, the more you have to compare and contrast, the better your version is going to be. Uh, and um, so that's probably the best for that. Um, I use the New King James because when I became a pastor at Calvary Chapel, New King James was being taught by Pastor Chuck and everybody else used New King James. And uh, maybe John Corson used the King James. Um, but I've continued on. I tried to switch to the NIV and quickly learned I don't want to do that. So I've just stuck here. And um, it might be that throughout, you know, the rest of my career, I'll do it with this. Um, the New King James Bible isn't a bad Bible to study with. But remember, it's from a certain set of manuscripts. And it doesn't take into account some other sets of manuscripts. And that's why there will be differences between the King James Version and other Bibles. It's not because they're evil or wicked. It's because they've taken the manuscript process a little further than what was around in 1611 with the manuscripts that the King James Bible was written from. If you want to just read the Bible, the, the New Living Translation is not bad to just read it to kind of get the just. But remember, it's paraphrased, meaning that somebody's made a decision on what's being talked about there and they're paraphrasing what's being said. Um, then there's a word-for-word -word translation like NASB, um, and the New King James would be word for word, not a transliteration that's doing line by line. But again, there's a limitation on the uh, on the manuscripts that are there. So the NASB, if you wanted the real best one for Bible study, is the NASB. All right? And um, I'll answer other questions if you have more questions about the versions of the Bible. Uh, uh, Amanda, I appreciate that. Um Yeah, so Jari's asking another question about the, if the rapture is the next thing to happen. Again, the Gog or Magog War or the rapture, right? One of those two. Um, will there be a revival? I hope so. I, I, 
I would be all for God delaying as long as he can. <laughs> he already said he did. He had to move the days up because no flesh should remain on the earth. Um, but I want to see a revival. Many people come into the kingdom as possible. The Bible says God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants to give the people who are around us now these opportunities to be able to give their lives to Christ. So, yes, I would, uh, I would say that. Uh, we have a question from GDH. Good to see you. Yeah, so this is a question that people do ask, uh, GDH. Um, is preventing kids from being born the same as abortion? And I think the answer to that is no. Um, that's not the same. Uh, you have, when you have a conception, you have a life. When you are taking contraception, you are stopping a life from being formed. Now, there, there's going to be plenty of people who will say it's sin. There's plenty of people who believe that if you are taking any kind of contraception, um, hey, in the Catholic world, right? That's the Catholic position. You're taking any kind of contraception, then you're, you're, you're not trusting God and you're sinning. Uh, I don't believe that that is the case. I think, um, I, I, I think it's not the same, and I think it's okay to use birth control, all right? And I, I realize that there are not. And hello, Daru, how to see, good to see you. Uh, and let's see. Um, all right, so um, Elle tells us a little bit more on her situation. So Elle says, um, I have four beautiful kids, thought I was done. I got pregnant without planning, um, had a miscarriage. It's left a hole in my heart. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? And wanting another but worried about the world, I'll keep praying. Yeah, I think that's the thing to do. Um, yeah, I think that's the thing to do. And, and you know, it, well, the only part of your question, L, that got me was, I don't want them to suffer. And it's like, well, life isn't a sentence of suffering for the majority of people. Some, yes, for whatever God's reason is, but not for the majority of people. And sometimes they make decisions that are bad, but life is a gift and is always a gift. All right, so thank you, L, for uh, kind of keeping us up to date on how you're thinking there. All right, and um, I know, you know, having, having a miscarriage is so hard because, well, there's a baby and you're getting ready for it. It's just a very hard thing to do. Um, all right, so um, let's see if there's any more questions here. Uh, we are almost done. Let me address uh, Rakaya's question from last week. She talked about reading a book that where where someone who was was Jewish reading Isaiah fifty three and saying that that there's a misquoting that there, there were mis um, uh, applying the word using the word for instead of from. So when it says that he was bruised for our iniquities, it should be it was bruised from our iniquities, um, and that Israel is the suffering Messiah. And I talked a little bit about it. And a little bit later on, I thought, boy, I really need to talk about this because is Israel really saying that they're the ones who are going to die to take away the sins of the world? Because that's what who the suffering Messiah does. That he was bruised for our iniquities. That he, he takes away the sins of the world. And is Israel really saying that they're the ones that do this very thing that God is doing? And how would, would they be able to fulfill all of these things uh, that are here in the book of Isaiah. And what would um, being bruised from 
our iniquities mean instead of being bruised for our iniquities. I would also love to go and see what the Septuagint said so you can start to see what, what people say today because of their rejection of the Messiah. You can go back to the Septuagint that was finished um, 200 years before the time of Christ and you can look at what it says uh, in um, Isaiah 53. So there's more research that you can do to see were, were people thinking that way back then or is this just the way people are thinking today because this so clearly talks about Jesus and they, they don't want to speak of it or they, they can't accept it. So I want to just read some of this. It's thus says the Lord, keep justice and righteousness. Oops, I'm in Isaiah 56. Let me go to Isaiah 53. And um, we're, we're wrapping it up now. This will be the last thing I respond to today. Um, we'll look at things later. Who has believed our report? Uh, on, on, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, talking about person, as a root of dry ground. He had no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Are they talking about the nation of Israel? He is despised and rejected of men. Why does it say he instead of they, if this is the nation of Israel? A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, um, uh, and, and you could look at that and go, well, Israel certainly was a sorrow acquainted with grief. He hit, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We despised him and did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So has Israel borne our griefs and carried our sorrows? Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. So that's where they would say from our transgressions. He was bruised from our iniquities. How does he was bruised from our iniquities? How does that carry through? chastisement from our peace was upon him. So, and by his stripes you are healed. So, what are the stripes and how are you healed? And is Israel saying that they're going to heal all the stripes? All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so, has God laid upon Israel the iniquity of us all? I mean, we could continue on, but it just doesn't fit. It is a way that they're grasping for straws to be able to reject the Messiah. So we may talk about that again when we have Rakaya with us. Um, Rakaya with us. All right. So um, appreciate you guys. Uh, been a good Q and A. Love the questions. Um, be praying for. Uh, fact check these hands. Um, you are spiritual. Go and restore such a one. And for L Donald, um, that God would be with you and bring you peace. May truly just give you peace in your heart. Comfort you. And remember, grieving is not a bad thing. It's no fun to go through, but it's not a bad thing. You got to go through that grief to, to be healthy. Don't try to avoid it or let people tell you you're being silly because you're grieving. And you certainly don't want to make any decisions while you're grieving. The fact that you had a, a miscarriage would make me even say more. Don't make any decisions now that would be lasting decisions. Wait until you're past the grieving process uh, to be able to do that. All right. So, uh, love you guys. Appreciate you. Love the rapport that we have with everybody interacting with one another. Thank you, Keith, for being here. Thank you, Tyler, for being here as well. Uh, we may try to use a different program next week. Uh, so, hope, um, hopefully, we won't have any problems. We will not have a Q&A this Wednesday. I'm taking uh, this next week off, and so I will not have a Q&A Wednesday, but we will be back at it again um, next Saturday, all right? So God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Keep loving him. Walk with him. Walk in the, the grace, the forgiveness that he gives you, but desire to do his will and to do the things that Jesus told us to do, all right? So God bless you guys. Uh, I am out. We will see you later on.